Oh, Brace, are you okay? Yeah, no, I'm fine. I'm all good. Um, let's just, let's just, let's just do it. Let's just get through this. I'm Brace. <laughs> Where we're going? Did I convince? Did you think that was real? No. Okay, let's. Okay. <laughs> Money. Is that your rap? What do you No, doing? that wasn't a rap. That was me. That was the sound of like air. No, money. I was going like the a money, a dollar bill, like scraping, you know, the, the texture of a dollar bill scraping on a dollar you, bill. No one does that. I'm doing it right now. Well, with my hands and making a noise with my mouth. But that's like, have you ever like taken a bunch of money and then done it one by one like that? No. Off a roof after you like made a big score on the market or anything like that? <laughs> No, but I have uh, gone swimming in a uh, swimming pool of coins. You with, have? Yeah, with my uh, my friends, the little ducks. Oh. I was going to say something there, but I can't make three of those in one episode. So okay. Hello, to. everyone. Hi. My name is Brace. We are joined by producer Young Chomsky, and the podcast is called Money Talk Markets, brought to you by Bloomberg. Um, that's what we're doing today. We got money talk. Markets. Markets. Bloomberg. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we have with us today the one and only Baron's top queen, Alexandra Skaggs, to talk about, well, what are we talking about, baby? We're talking, uh, scandal, mm-hmm. leverage, loans, bankruptcy, crash, banks, regulators, the police. We're talking all of it. Mm-hmm. And we are talking about money. <laughs> Let's get to it. Welcome, listeners, to Brace's Financial Harem. <laughs> <laughs> where where I, where I invite you into my boudoir. Oh my God. Uh, this is awful. Filled with my fi- all female team of financial advisors. Of course, we have with us today my number one Goyam uh, advisor, of course, Liz Franzak, and recurring guest, Finco correspondent. <laughs> Alexandra Skaggs. How you doing, Alexandra? Good to have you. I am good. How are you guys doing? Good, good. Fantastic. So before we get into uh, the big story today, you have to settle a little bit of a uh, argument that Mr. Belden and I were having, which I've never called you Mr. Belden. That sounded almost kind of strange. Well, you know, as your employer in the financial sector, Uh, I think that's only appropriate. Yeah, you would. This is a $50 billion bet between myself and uh, and my employer. But it's it's through a swap, so I'm actually not on the hook for it. Um, How do you pronounce Archegos? Archegos? I 
think it's arch egos. No, I'm, I don't think anyone knows. It's really? actually okay. a mystery. No, <laughs> I think it's Archegos or Archegos. Uh, Archegos. I've literally heard like Archegos. every financial news network person, podcaster, yeah. say it every which way. I'm waiting for Portnoy to weigh in, but yeah, <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm just, I think we should all sort of just pick, you know, uh, true non-style guide, however you feel like pronouncing Archegos today, Archegua, <laughs> feel free, you know, it's, it's open. Ar- <laughs> since, you know, since it's sort of not doing so great right now, I feel like, what are they going to do, sue us? Yeah, totally. <laughs> Actually, they might, that's how they get their money back. <laughs> <laughs> so um true and on cash yeah <laughs> archegos <laughs> capital management um people not following the story you should be but now you are because you're new true on this is a hedge fund kind of a hedge fund sort of a hedge fund quasi hedge fund which will this part of the story that just like boom totally blew up basically overnight tens of billions of dollars um just disappeared <laughs> A lot. I think it's like the fastest loss of wealth in history. I mean, it's it's pretty crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, a lot of people seem to think they know why, and I'm not convinced. And we'll get into that maybe toward the end. But maybe we can kind of just start with trying to answer what the fuck happened. <laughs> um, and that means starting with this guy, Bill Huang, who is the head of this um capital management fund which again it's not really a hedge fund right it's like a family fund what is that no it's a it's a family office uh <laughs> which in this case means so that yeah, well he used to have a hedge fund and then he got in trouble for insider trading and market manipulation I honestly, I don't hate it when that happens. I think that's, I, I am no shit not being ironic. That's cool. <laughs> well, that's being penalized like, for having friends. Caught, yeah, right. I know, right? It's like, yeah, you're just talking to your boys. Do some trades, talk to the boys, you know. Uh, but then when the SEC catches you, they say you're not allowed to take outside investor money. So, so, okay, I it's see. It's just his money now, basically. It's his, like, family money. So it's their family office. So we're managing. on video chat, and I just want to make sure our listeners know that Alex is using <laughs> quotation, air quotes, air quotes as basically when you talk about Wall Street and anything involving regulations, I think air quotes are pretty much applicable always. <laughs> well, to, to be... To be clear, I mean, Bill Huang is sort of queering the identity of what a family office fund is. Like, he is in, like, a poly relationship with a bunch of different, um, you know, hedge funds, other tiger cubs, um, and a bunch of different banks. So, yeah, like, it is a family fund, but, like, we're sort of abolishing the idea of what the traditional family is here. Yeah, he literally abolished the family fund. Exactly. <laughs> um no but so okay yeah so he it's like 2012 and he's part of that this group called tiger asset management i think which tiger, is tiger asia i think tiger asia great name yeah. okay and he gets uh he gets nabbed by the the feds by the sec for insider trading so he's like can't he can't touch anyone else's money but he can trade his own and that's kind of how he gets around this yeah, yeah. And I mean, he like ended up turning his money into a lot of money. 
you know, after, because, you know, we have to like give away, give investors back all their cash. That means you're mm-hmm. in less fees. You're kind of stuck with like whatever it is you have instead of bringing in all this institutional money and stuff. And he's actually uh, a protege or like one of these offshoots of Tiger Global. I think it's Tiger, Tiger Global. Mm. I have like no memory, but uh, like basically a big hedge fund manager, Julian Robertson, had this like tiger hedge fund and they called them all like the tiger cubs. Um, so it's like all of these little offshoots, like guys who came from that fund to mm. start their own fund. Yeah. He he's been, um, yeah. He's been trading like a long time. I mean, this is like someone yeah. who decades and decades. Yeah. Yeah. Like through the dot com bust, through the financial crisis, through, uh, I mean, various, uh, 9/11. market busts in the years. Yeah. Nine 11. Absolutely. So he's like, uh, kind of been through it. And I mean, when we say he was trading his own money, that makes it sound like he's working with, I mean, when we say, oh, you're just trading your own money, it makes it sound like it's like $500,000 or a million dollars. Like, no, he's trading with like big money in this family fund. Yeah. Yeah. Wasn't it like 20 billion or something? Yeah. He's like turning. Well, that's the thing is that he ends up like turning a massive profit. And at some point, and I don't really know when this happened, and it seems – I don't know if people have tried to figure this out or if they're not going to get any answers from the banks on this. But at some point, it seems like he becomes too successful to ignore, and the banks are like, okay, fine, we'll work with you, even though the SEC told them they're not supposed to, right? So I feel like the banks sort of see that kind of thing as like a risk that could eventually get them in trouble. Like if you're trading with someone who is an insider trader and got in all this trouble, um, they're just like, oh, reputational risk or whatever, mm. you know. And because um, the bank's reputations are so great. Um, <laughs> I know. I'm like, what kind of risk are they taking? I know, right? Uh, but they basically had him on a blacklist for like sketchy stuff. Mm-hmm. They're like, oh, that guy's a little obsessed. We're not going to deal with him. And then he ended up making enough money that Goldman was like, well, okay. <laughs> but they don't like actually, so they don't actually, they kind of act as like weird middlemen for him. And this is where it gets a little mm-hmm. confusing because, and this seems to be like part of his entire, I don't know, endeavor. Like he pretty much figured out a great way to pump stocks, it seems. <laughs> Which is, he was using, he was going through the banks and buying these, like, complex derivatives that I feel, yeah. I, I don't really know how much we need to, I mean, get into it. They're not that complex, but it's kind of confusing. Uh, hold on, uh, my uh, beautiful sister wives. Uh, what is a complex derivative? Uh well, what he was using uh, was basically this fun thing called a total return swap, which is basically when you're like, okay, I want to buy a stock, but I don't want to like own it. So I just want like you to give me like, like I'm trying to think of a good, of a good analogy. It's like a contract kind of. Yeah. It's like, it's like a contract that's like, okay, you're just going to give me like all the returns from this stock. And also I want like, 50 times leverage on top of it. Okay, maybe not 50, but like 20 plus. Like I want like that stock, whatever it does, times 20. Uh-huh. And also I don't want anyone in the government to know that I own that stock at all. Wait, this sounds like a gr- what, can I, I, 
can I do this? Because this sounds like there's no risk. <laughs> it sounds well, fun, right? Yeah, that's I the mean, thing. Like, there is very little risk for the investor, right? It's like basically <laughs> kind of like a pure play. Um, but I mean, I was trying to wrap my head around it. I it sounds like it's just basically a contract where the bank operates almost as like a middleman and is basically like, you know, okay, here's a contract and we promise that if the stock goes up, we'll pay you. And if it goes down, you'll pay us. And it's like, that's kind of it. And the, 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 I mean, the thing that seemed to work out really, I mean, it worked out in, um, Archegos and, and Bill's favor for a couple reasons. One of the things you mentioned was that, um, no one knows what he's buying, right? Because yeah. one of the things is is that he's not actually directly buying the equities, so nothing gets reported. It's actually the banks that are holding the equities, not him. Um, and I'll, I, we can get into kind of what he was doing and why that was so important. Some of that is because of the fact that, like we said, he had already been flagged by the SEC for insider trading. <laughs> um, yes. And, you know, the the kind of the other reason why is that what he was doing, and I kind of want to bring this into the past episodes that we've done about ARC and GameStop, but um, what he was doing was basically buying a shit ton in, like, single companies. Yeah. I think he owned, like, a handful. And, and the funny thing about going to the banks and being like, okay, I want you to like give me a ton of leverage and like exposure to this stock, but not actually ownership of it was that like, he also didn't mention to the banks that he was like doing that with like five other banks also. Right. Oh, so he's in the players club. Yeah. <laughs> I see what he's saying. Like, so he's going to Goldman being like, listen, I yeah. need you to get me some fucking Viacom. I only need you to get me some fucking Viacom. <laughs> but meanwhile, he's over there with Deutsche Bank and nice Joyman Milkmaid. And he's like, listen, baby, I need you to put me in heavy for Viacom, but it's only you, my Frauline. And so he's going around to like six, six different banks basically doing this shit. Yeah. No wonder they call him the, the tiger. Know. Well, they don't do call th that. Okay, <laughs> wait, but side note, do you believe that, that they didn't know? I think, I mean, they probably didn't know how much mm. he had at the other banks. Because, like, I mean, some of, some of the news about it, like, a lot of people are just like, okay, that guy is psycho. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, it's. Which is funny because it reminds me of Kathy Wood and Ark. No, that that's have, what I'm like, saying. Yeah, yeah, totally. But what's amazing is common. that, like, through these swaps, I mean, it's kind of operating in the same sort of principle as ARC and and the, the ETFs and even the kind of, like, gamma squeeze that uh, GameStop was affecting, where basically it's using kind of the market logic against itself to propel uh, an equity pump, right? So yeah. you've got, like... So basically... Because he's working through these swaps and he's able to like leverage out so far, so much, so far, both. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what's the appropriate word for that. Um, and the banks are having to buy the underlying equities as collateral for the swaps, right? It's pushing the stock price up. So we mentioned mm -hmm. Viacom. Viacom was like 
one of the big holdings he had. It's like Viacom and Discovery were the other ones. There's a couple others. But Viacom, like, so Viacom has been, like, on a stock run for, like, the past, I don't know, six months, three months. I mean, the market's going crazy right now. But Viacom even, I mean, it was kind of nuts where people were like, I don't think Viacom's worth this much, but okay. And all so that's these. A, that's a good thing? Yeah, all these analysts coming out and being like, oh, well. Actually, uh, I think it could be like 120, and I think it could be like 110, you know, and all this kind of shit. Have you seen all these billboards? People are getting back to driving again. Everyone loves Viacom CBS. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But it was because this dude was fucking buying so much through these, like, leveraged swaps and the banks holding these equities, buying up more and more. And it was so concentrated that, I mean, I was reading that in the end they think he was owning up to, like, 34% of all of Viacom, CBS. He's so fucking cool. <laughs> That's he could so literally crazy. get the good place put back on air with that much. <laughs> Your dream. Yeah. My dad can finally get his job back yeah. as a writer for the good place. <laughs> I mentioned That's the regulatory crazy. thing, and I just want to bring that back because that is like a big part of this where – One of the reasons why we say we don't know if the banks knew or did people know is that when you buy over 5% of a one company's stock, you actually have to file a form with the SEC. Um, And because he wasn't doing this directly, he was able to sidestep that regulation. The reason they have you do that is because, first of all, 5% of a company is a lot of fucking money. For a publicly Mm -hmm. traded company, Mm -hmm. is a lot. Like, that's a lot, let alone 34%. (laughs) Um, But it's enough where um, the reason you have to file is because it's concentrating that much risk into one single place and it becomes valuable information in terms of price discovery and for other investors to understand like um, who's involved in what they're doing. And so for people to not understand, I mean, one of the things is that Viacom was pumping up. No one really knew why, because no one could track down that this dude was <laughs> pouring in a bunch of loan money to own um, over a third of this fucking company. So much so that Viacom, yeah. in the last week of March, was like, hey, we're going to issue more stock. We're doing so well, we're going to issue more stock. <laughs> <laughs> And it seems yeah. like that's when this whole thing started to unravel. And as it turns out, uh, shareholders don't like it when you issue a lot more stock. <laughs> as long as you're not Tesla. Right. And <laughs> you can't get ahead of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so that stock sold off a lot. Viacom, and, yeah. Yeah, and beca- yeah, Viacom sold off a lot. And because of that, he started getting like margin calls. They were like, Oh shit guy. Like, you know, you have all this exposure. We're going to need some more cash from you. Um, he was like, Oh cash. I don't have that. Yeah. (laughs) I'm sorry. Wait, are we doing an episode about how this guy is bad? Liz? (laughs) Cause this guy is like, I'm he's cool. I mean, I don't think he's as bad as the banks. (laughs) I mean, what they're doing. So, yeah, I think it was like Wednesday, it was Wednesday, March 24th. So a couple of weeks ago, that's when Viacom started tanking. It mm-hmm. lost like, uh, I think it went down like 9, 10%. That's enough for, um, like, um, that's enough to trigger a margin call, which is kind of crazy. 
Um, what that means is that then, you know, that's when all the banks are like, like you said, they call him and they're like, Hey, where's some money? You need to pony up a little bit more to cover the leverage that we're giving you to with these swaps. Right. And he's like, you said, he's like, I don't have it. <laughs> and he's like, well, this is there. my favorite part. There, actually, I've been there. <laughs> this is my favorite. He's like, actually, he's like, okay, can we all get it on a call? <laughs> <laughs> oh, so wait, are all these banks, are all the, these banks all do this at the same time? Yeah. So he legit gets on like a Google Hangout with Goldman, Morgan, UBS, Credit Suisse, Deutsche, and Nomura, who's what, like Japan's biggest it's a Jap- Japanese bank, yeah. like investment bank or something. Mm-hmm. And he's like, okay, buddies, listen. Classic Polly. I'm good for it, but I'm good for it tomorrow. I promise. So long as we can make it through the like, because this is on a Thursday, and so basically, I mean, what I imagine is he's thinking we just got to get through Friday at close market. Give me the weekend, and I'll find the cash. So, like, if everyone promises not to sell their underlying stock in Viacom, then we're good. Because remember, the banks are holding the underlying equity Viacom, you know, kind of as a hedge against these swaps. They're, you know, if they don't get their money from Bill, they're going to sell the Viacom stock as a, you know, as a way to kind of recuperate some of the losses they're getting on the swaps, uh, which would trigger more sell-off in the stock price, which would push the swap specs further down, which would push further selling down. You see where this is going. We've kind of covered this again on the GameStop and ARC episodes. So he says, apparently everyone was like, that sounds great, Bill. We're in. <laughs> Except. <laughs> Except <laughs> little Goldman. And- <laughs> well, I don't appreciate you singing us out this. here. <laughs> My favorite part of this whole thing is that like Goldman and Morgan's family were like, that's an interesting request. Wow. That's yeah. Okay. And I can just imagine them putting him on hold and being like, sell everything. Yeah. The guy's got nothing. Just sell all the fucking stocks, all of the stocks that he's got a ton of exposure to crash and Morgan, Stanley and Goldman do fine. Cause they're it's like, incredible. Oh, yeah, we, we sold. Yeah, we between door, end of market so. Thursday and opening Friday, Goldman and Morgan had liquidated all their positions in Viacom. <laughs> so this guy, this guy gets all his banks on this fucking uh, this Google Meet. He gets them all to like, he talks to them like, be, you know, save the money, you know, or hold on, I can get the money together, I can get the money, and then guys are like, oh yeah, sure, and then they just sell it. Two of them sell it, but four of them don't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, they fucking, they just let Credit Suisse and, well, we'll get to Credit Suisse, uh, UBS, Nomura, like, out to dry completely. And so because Goldman and um, Morgan Stanley, because they had already sold off everything by Friday, I mean, it was something like $7 billion. Like, it was, it was like a huge fucking sell Viacom tanks even more. Uh, it you know, and all the other kind of related holdings that uh, I keep calling him Bill. Bill had. Um, so it, it just starts a massive unwinding, and basically, like 
Alex said, you can imagine them kind of on that conference call, like getting everyone to sell as they're trying to hold off the other banks. Like basically imagine like 10 seconds before market open, UBS and Deutsche and Credit Suisse, well, not Credit Suisse, actually a little slow on the uptake, <laughs> and Nomura getting the memo. They're basically like running to the phones to try to sell as much as they can before the stock price tanks so much that it's not worth anything. They don't do so well. No. No. They don't do so well no, at all. Like and it. It, basically, they've all been caught holding the bag, which is kind of the theme of the episode. Let me let me ask you something real quick. Let me interject, ladies. Don't these banks have like departed style, like spies raised from birth at other banks? They should. Like they don't have guys in there. (laughs) Probably not. Uh, No, they actually they do a thing. Uh They actually require bankers to take two weeks leave, or like traders to take two weeks leave every year because they're like, okay, well. If you're doing a giant fraud or like something like that, you actually won't be able to maintain it for two weeks while you're gone. So they just like don't let them come in for that long. That's their fraud check? Vacation? Yeah. Yeah, I know, right? Liz, I think you have to see if I'm doing a gigantic fraud on this show (laughs) in mid-June. I literally was just thinking that. I was like, wait, uh, (laughs) turn on fraud check. Yeah, so basically, I mean, Credit Suisse, they, it seems like they really have made it out the worst. Yeah, so like Nomura, the amount of trading that Nomura did with that guy was like really insane. Like, I, God, I wish I could, I wish I could remember what that chart was like, but I think I sent it to you, Liz. Like, there was this chart of like the exposure that all the banks had to him, and Nomura was like three times bigger than anyone else. And it's just their U.S. subsidiary. It's a giant global bank, so they're probably okay. Um, also, because they, like, got out at some point. Um, but Credit Suisse said that between that and another blow-up that they had, which mm-hmm. we'll, we'll get to, they're going to, like, just erase all of their profit for the quarter. Yeah. I mean, Credit Suisse, I, I don't think they've even disclosed how much they've lost they, have they just no. said it was like a material impact which you'd never <laughs> want to hear someone say because we're talking i mean people are coming out and being like we only lost two billion or oh we only lost three billion someone i think said you know it's like a unnamed source but they're like they think wall street's totals are going to be around 10 billion that are just poof gone yeah. which is insane um so we're talking those big numbers and Credit Suisse won't even come out and say, like, how they much? They just finished selling today. Today? They Are you serious? Their, yeah. Yeah, like, it's been a bonanza. Today. Me and Young Chomsky been at the Bloomberg terminal all fucking morning, <laughs> just snatching that shit up. Dude, I literally, I it's technically own baby. the good place now. <laughs> <laughs> they were moving all their money into Dogecoin. Yeah. Young Chomsky bought Jamila Jamila as a wife. <laughs> fire sale man Mm -hmm. so yeah this is like a big thing i think what's the reason why we kind of started that the the talking about this with why did they blow up is because 
So I'm not convinced that they actually faced real margin calls. This is my like funny theory. I think that they faced margin calls and I'm doing the Wall Street air quotes, which is to say that the banks didn't actually really care that much about the leverage. What they cared about was maybe someone sniffing around about Mm. how maybe regulators looking into or sniffing around with how much leverage is out there and on these kind of derivatives and these dangerous things, as opposed to their actual balance sheet. Like the fact that Goldman and Morgan Stanley were able to get out so quick. I don't know if, I don't know. So that's like my, my little like theory is that actually it, it really wasn't like a true margin call that was triggered. I, Cause the, the thing is, is that like, a lot of the stories about Archegos and Archegos, um, they really focus on him just being a bad dude and a criminal. Yeah. And like everyone else just kind of being like, not tricked, but sort of like looking the other way. But like the underlying, what is it? The underlying fundamentals are strong or whatever <laughs> we like to say. But it seems to me like the complete opposite. Right? Like, we always say that just on the show, like, bug not feature, or feature not bug. I mean, (laughs) don't even know what we say on the show. Um, But, like, these swaps are created to get around these regulations, not, like, in spite of that, right? Yeah, I mean, that's actually, that's a a pretty legit theory, Um, especially because around that time, like, every regulator, and that's, like, Janet Yellen, you know, the SEC, Gary Gensler now, which I have some stories about him. Oof, but uh, well, he, yeah, and he was also in charge of the CFTC before, which is in charge mm. of regulating swaps, mm. um, which is interesting. In my but head, def- I can just only think of Gary Glitter when I hear his story. <laughs> I'm thinking of Gary Gygax. <laughs> so, so all of the regulators were talking about uh, – non-bank financial intermediaries, Wall Street air quotes, which basically Mm. just means hedge funds, Um, hedge funds, family offices, big private investors who are a lot bigger than they used to be and do a lot of stuff that's like really important in this sort of like plumbing of financial markets. And I mean, it's funny because they're all exposed a lot. Like the banks are all exposed to them. They're all like really in deep with the banks with like because the banks are the ones giving them leverage. Mm-hmm. Um, and they just started that focus like right around the time that Archegos blew up. Mm. So, I mean, it seems like Archegos is one of many. There's no way that this is the only person who was doing this. This wasn't invented for him. I mean, I do think that it's probably rare that someone would be this deep Kind of, I, I mean, it seems like he had a little like novel thing going with the way he was pushing the equity pump, but like, um, and the kind of concentration he had in, in the banks itself. But there's no way. I mean, you know what I mean? Like, this wasn't invented yeah, I mean, for him. He didn't invent no. this. No, no, and like, I mean, hedge funds love leverage, right? It's like, yeah. okay, I want to like make big bets and not pay a lot of money to do it. Like mm-hmm. usually that's kind of expensive, but if you go to the right bank, like this is all through their, um, a part of their business called the prime brokerage, mm-hmm. which I think has grown a lot in the Huge. past couple of decades. Yeah. Um, 
And, you know, it's, I think it's like pretty standard. It's just that he did it more and like more crazily, Mm. I guess, than everyone else. He was like, okay, I want like what everyone else has, but like times five or times 10. So he was, he was getting a little too greedy, but there's probably a lot of other people out there using these complex financial instruments. I I, got to say, the thing is, if I'm trying to do a little scam like this, because this is basically a scam, I'm using anything that has complex in the name because Mm. who can, you know, who knows what's going on? It's complex. It's complex. Hey, look the other way. It's too complex. And I, the funny thing is, I got to say, I've done a lot, you know, and, 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 you know, sort of the joke goes, I don't know about any of this stuff. I don't, you know, truth is I'm pretty deep in the market, um, genetically, but I don't know, like, I don't know what the hell most of these things are. And then I read reporting on it and like, not like, you know, not maybe not like the financial times or barons or whatever, but like a lot of sort of like, maybe not layman, but a midway between like layman and expert reporting. And everyone's like, I don't really know what the fuck this is either. Like, these are really complicated. I don't really know how this works. And that seems to be the case with like a lot of stuff that that we talk because i've listened to like podcasts from like fucking you know financial guys talking about this other archegos and they're like yeah i'll be honest with you i don't exactly know how this works and i think that is um if i was trying to get away with a scam uh i would do it via one of those instruments where people have to say like i don't really know how this works oh yeah and it's like a great way to have like no one looking at what you're doing Mm -hmm. because i mean you'd say total return swap to me. And I'm like, uh, I have a headache now. Yeah, <laughs> like, totally. Why did you make me think that phrase? Um, but it is, you know, it's like a way to stay away from regulation mm-hmm. basically. Like that's kind of what it does. Like there are other ways to get leverage. If you really want leverage, you can trade options, you know, right. but he didn't just want that. He wanted to get away from regulation and get a ton of leverage. So, I mean, there are shades of 2008, and that's yeah. been kind of an ongoing mood <laughs> for when we have I mean, you, when we have you on the on the show. Shades of 2008. Shades wow. of eight. Liz is, Liz, Liz is like looking at 2008 and saying, damn, that's a mood. <laughs> a schmood. And <laughs> I mean... Big part of that is the role of our big our friends over at Credit Suisse. Now they we mentioned them in they got caught up in the Archegos thing. I don't really understand what the hell is going on with them, but it wouldn't be a scandal if they weren't involved. That's something I've come to learn. They're sort of like they're like uh the the red and white Deutsche. <laughs> they're kind of always in these like weird things. And they are all up in the other scandal, financial scandal that is rocking uh, the financial world, which is this company, Greensill Capital, which I'm going to be real with you. This is very confusing and complicated. Well, oh man, it is, but I got this one more. Okay, good. Because this one made more sense to me because this was just a guy yeah. literally being like, all right, 2008, check this out. I can do that in another fucking sector. <laughs> It kind of is. It it's literally true. is. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, this guy, and he, he's also got, who's that fucking, who's that little fucking prick who should have, the little uh, doughy man, uh, work for Peter Thiel, white man, white trash, what's his, J.D. Vance. 
He's got like the kind of JD Vance thing, like I'm from a farm, like you know, I'm I'm just a- he's from a farm, but he was like a fucking partner or tra- a huge trader at like Morgan or something. But he grew up, family. he grew up, you know, and he's Australian. First of all, his name is Lex. Also- now this should be rule of thumb from anyone who knows anything about Batman. Don't trust anyone, or excuse me, that is definitely Superman. not Batman. Superman. Yes. <laughs> uh. Don't trust anyone named Lex. You can't trust a Lex. Well, on the flip side, Liz, actually, uh, Superman also had an enemy named Brainiac, and a lot of people call me that. And so I don't think that we should really Mm -hmm. make that a blanket rule. Fair. No one calls you that. (laughs) Well, the funny thing about that farmer story Mm -hmm. is that Lex Greensill's dad, he's like, oh, I grew up on a... I can't do the Australian accent. I'll leave that to Brace. That's all Brace can do, but we have to say that it's British when he's doing it. (laughs) Grew up in a... Wait, yeah. He's British. I grew up on a a farm. (laughs) New Warrigal. No, he's British, Brace. I think he's Australian. No, he is, but we have to tell Yeah, but I can only psych myself out by by trying to do it. Right. Grew up in a farm, New Warrigal. Oh my perfect. God. It's like you're like him. But like he the same, you know? did he not? So he did, but his dad's like a big, like a giant sweet <laughs> potato exporter. Yeah, it's like, like not. He's, a, he's not like farm is like a global operation. He's like, oh, it's I'm like a, a huge a, factory a little farm. farmer. We had trouble getting paid, and it's like, did you know you're a sweet potato exporter around the world? Well, that's where the trouble sort of starts because he, his whole his whole story is that his his simple you know uh, antipodean yokel parents would deliver their I mean he'd always use this example of de- they would deliver their melons or whatever their 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 fucking sweet potato their yams to the uh, to the supermarkets and then they wouldn't be able to get paid and so he he realizes that there's all these banks that sometimes do uh, like supply line lending. So they basically cover on the supply line invoices. And he's like, well, what if we did that but for the small didgeridoo carver? <laughs> and so he's, he said he's going to take – and, and this, is, this is really where – well, actually all along the line seem very 2008. But like he, he's like, well, we're going to do this for like more smaller businesses that the banks wouldn't do this with and riskier businesses. Yeah, like uh, the governor of West Virginia's coal mine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, <laughs> makes sense, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, yeah, and not only did he do that, he's like, okay, we're just gonna like make these loans basically to like cover the cash between like a small business and like the big company that they're supplying, right? And we're gonna just charge the small business the same interest rate as the big business. Mm. And I was like, that's weird. Like, how can you do that? How can you make money on that? Yeah. And I was like, well, and plus there's a lot of risk, right? Like small companies pay higher interest rates because there's more of a chance that like you'll have a bad season on your didgeridoo farm. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Burning Man gets Huge risk. Exactly. Um, And and I remember like asking them about this because I like, I met him once and he was like, oh, it's big data. What? He said Classic that? Classic answer. 
big Holy data magic. Shit. It's like, oh, well, we can tell ahead of time whether <laughs> the shipment is going to get there. And I was like, what? These guys, you know, he always talked about what was democratizing finance. And whenever someone says yeah. bullshit like that, that's exactly. when that's the siren go wee 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 <laughs> because like that's a fucking grifter. Yeah. Whenever okay. someone talks about democratizing something that's beyond the chores list for your like <laughs> commune, always like if it's something you can't vote on, I would be very wary of it. So yeah. the thing is, yeah. is that, so he is, he's, he's repackaging these loans to then be sold as to investors as securities. That's the novelty, yeah. right? That's, yes. And he's selling, so he's basically, Brace, you're, you bringing up 2008 is like really on point because the only thing that I could get through my head to understand this was tranches. That basically he had these kind of like super low margin, super safe, because that's the thing, super low margin, super safe loans, right, that he was packaging into notes with then a ton of really, really risky loans to basically like, because he couldn't make money, that's the thing, he couldn't make money on these low margin loans, right, which is just like safe company kind yeah. of day-to-day -day stuff. So you have to put it together with money you can make on really risky loans to shitty companies that don't have a lot of money or have bad credit ratings. But also then it seems like to things that had nothing to do with uh, supply chain financing at all, like private plane financing mm -hmm. and like boats. <laughs> Sometimes you got to supply a little Peruvian marching powder to Dan Bilzerian. <laughs> so maybe, you know, things are more complex than you think, Liz. Yeah. So he's like packaging all of this stuff and then selling it to investors and like pensions, like big investors. And also a bunch of people who bought funds that were run by Credit Suisse. Oh, my God. Yes. <laughs> and also David Cameron so was like a lobbyist yeah. for him. He was. One of the most charismatic uh, men of the 20th and 21st centuries. I thought he was done fucking pigs, but apparently not. <laughs> and they both went camping with uh, MBS. That was... Uh, no. Yeah. <laughs> I saw that one and I was like, oh my God. Uh, what's his name? Rob Smith from the FT did a really nice piece about that. Because apparently not only did he go camping with MBS, he like then was like, oh, I have to tell everyone this. Of course. Um, because he was really excited. So apparently it was one of his favorite stories, which oh is amazing. God. I wonder if they went falcon hunting together. Oh, maybe. Oh, my God. A ton of people are, like, buying this stuff. I mean, and, and, I mean, a lot. Like, they were saying, there's, like, people saying that Greensill was going to be worth, like, I don't know, like, $100, $100 billion by the end of the year or something. Like, saying crazy shit. They're, I mean, they're, they're, um, like, they were touted as, like, one of these big, I mean, this was, like, a big, like, financial disruptor startup, okay? Those are also other words that should set alarms off. Yeah. Um, and around 2019, it seems like uh, another kind of red flag enters the story, which is SoftBank. Yeah. And anytime this, anytime SoftBank is involved you know something has gone seriously awry. 
I'm sorry. All I hear when you say SoftBank, I'm just like, damn, we get to talk about a second players club in a fucking episode because that's what SoftBank is, baby. You know I'm in there. Oh, my God. You know Bracey's in SoftBank. I mean, they're like talking about trying to push an IPO for Greensill at this point. Yeah. Like, this is like crazy, crazy stuff. And it's like, a t- it, I mean, it turns out it's a total fucking fraud. Yeah, they were they were making loans, and Matt Levine from Bloomberg also did a nice mm-hmm. job writing about this. I, they were he's making so loans. great. I know he's really good. He knows the market better than God. It's unbelievable. He really does. That's not true. He really does. On the, oh, you guys are Christian. Maybe it's true for you guys. Uh, so what was I going to say? Oh, he he was writing about how not only did they make loans for for companies that you know, like a risky company that was like, okay, I'm, I've got this contract. I need the money soon. But he was making loans, like Lex and Greensill were making loans for contracts that didn't exist yet. He's like, well, right. I bet you could sell this to like 15 other people. So why don't we just give you the cash for that now? And yes. we'll just trust you. This is incredible. So this was the case with the West Virginia Coal Company too, right? What's it called? Yeah. Bluestone? They so. they basically what they said was um well, we could potentially make a lot of money with through these customers who are potential and so mm-hmm. these potential earnings would be this and Greensill was like that sounds great. Here's a loan based on that. Dude, I got to get into fucking I, I, I'm sorry. I'm leaving money on the table with this shit. Is there like a factory I can buy or something? I could do this shit all day. I mean, he's working with big companies too. This is like AstraZeneca, Norwegian Air. I think Mm. Ford he's working with. I mean, like big, big fucking companies. This isn't, he's not working with like like didgeridoo farms anymore. And one of the big companies that we can't, I mean, we can't kind of like talk around this story about without mentioning is, uh, GFG, which is uh, Sanjeev Gupta's steel company, this dude, like, uh, I mean, he seems to be as much of a crook as as Lex Greensill. Yeah, yeah, I know. So I know less about his stuff, but again, Rob Smith from the FT did a really nice job covering it. I mean, he basically also just like created all of these steel mills all over the world and was like, okay, I'm just gonna grow like crazy regardless of demand and like steel and stuff is tough because um you know it's a commodity you sort Mm -hmm. of your business is really sensitive to commodity prices and uh, apparently there's also like a lot of other shady business practices going on and and again i know a little bit less about that but they were really tight uh yeah and gfg and greensill gave them a ton of financing and then gfg couldn't pay Yes. I was reading that, like, and I think this is from Rob's reporting in the FT, that, like, basically GFG was, uh, you know, they had he had five clients that were generating about 90% of the revenue, and what Greensill was doing was creating fake, like, kind of like fake company names to hide GFG loans. Yeah. And they were all names that were like roads by his house in Australia. (laughs) (laughs) By the farm. Did you read? Yeah, exactly. 
<laughs> so like people uh, kind of start looking into this at some, at, you know, and kind of like poking around a little bit because shit starts hitting the fan when basically insurers stop, start pulling out. Yeah. So like before when he was telling me that like, I was like, oh, how do you do this? He's like, oh, it's big data. Um, <laughs> the answer was actually bond insurance. Mm. And then the bond insurers were like, no, this is too sketchy for us. Like, we're out. So how did that work exactly? Like, so he basically because the loans that he was packaging into these notes were so risky, he had to get them insured. Yeah. And the insurer sort of like does the whole thing and writes policy and is like, okay, well, if these guys can't pay, we'll cover it. Um, But you have to pay us like a premium of this much or whatever. Mm. Um, The thing is that like, when GFG stops paying and like it becomes clear just how much of those loans were to GFG, uh, the insurers were like, maybe we didn't want to write this policy in the first place. So mm-hmm. they basically declined to renew it. And without that, all of a sudden, like those safe things don't look so safe anymore. And that's when everything kind of started unraveling. It happened really mm-hmm. fucking fast. Yeah. Um, it was like in early March that kind of German regulators started poking around. And then suddenly it was like, oops, all the money's gone. It was just yeah. like, it blew up kind of like Archegos did or Archegos did. Um, like KPMG, you know, which is one of the, you know, uh, auditors kind of doing the insurance work basically was like, okay, we can't verify any of the invoices that are related to GFG. So none of these kind of, we're we're not going to actually like securitize any of these loans. And then the whole thing just kind of like the bottom fell out. And then what's crazy is, and this is the stuff that like, I still can't really wrap my head around is because Greensill, which again, it's weird because it's like a company that no one's heard of really. I mean, people have heard of it, but it's not like, you know, a big popular name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, their hands are in so many fucking different countries and so many different banks and investment funds across the world that it seems to be like this global game of hot potato to see who's going to be left holding the bag. Again, the theme of the episode. And like, I mean, Credit Suisse (laughs) is one of the guys that has a bit of a big bag on their hands. But it's not just them. I mean, it's like there's that huge fund in Japan that basically has said, I can't remember, it's like a huge Japanese insurer. They're like the biggest insurer in Japan, and they're like, actually, we're not going to deal with it. The Australian insurer, IAG, is like, uh, we're not going to deal with it. These fucking companies in the U.S., they don't want anything to do with it. It's like, what... I mean, we're talking about like tens, tens of billions of dollars that have literally just vanished. And, and that's like what we know of because it might end up totaling like way, way more than that. And we probably won't know because no one wants to kind of come forward and show their balance sheet because then they would have to record the losses, which no one wants to do. Yeah, and Credit Suisse originally said that they were going to try, because they were the ones that were, like, hosting these funds mm-hmm. that, like, put all these people into these loans that Greensill was underwriting. Mm. Um, and Credit Suisse originally said, like, 
yeah, we're going to make our investors whole. We really want to maintain these client relationships, whatever, which meant that basically Credit Suisse was on the hook. Yeah. Uh, but then the Archegos thing happened, and all of a sudden they're like, yeah, we're not so sure about that anymore. <laughs> so <laughs> now it might be just their investors. Like, oh, oh yeah, we sold you this thing that we told you was super safe. But, oh, it turns out it wasn't. Sorry. They were selling it at as having a 1.5% return. So like, yeah, that's really fucking safe. That's like, this is the safest yep. thing you could buy. And it was mm -hmm. all total fucking crap. Yep. I got to say at the beginning of most episodes, Liz does say explicitly that this podcast is financial advice. <laughs> and so I want to give you a little piece of financial <laughs> advice from this podcast. I wouldn't really put my money with Credit Suisse right now. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if they'll go under actually. I really do. Um, Probably not just because of how the Swiss operate, but I mean, I, I, I think that this story is going to take months and months to un unwind, no pun intended. Um, I don't know if we'll even actually know the extent to how much has been lost because so much of it is like personally and professionally embarrassing for a lot of people. I saw the Wall Street Journal today had a story about it that... This caught my ear because it said, this is from today, the $440 million from SoftBank. So last year, SoftBank made a $440 million loan to Greensill, which was allegedly for loans that it had outstanding. Um, related, so the $440 million loan from SoftBank was related to a loan Greensill made to Katera, I'm going to pause on them for a second. A U.S. startup that aims to make the construction of buildings more efficient. Let me set that aside. Uh, like Greensill, Katera was backed by SoftBank's Vision Fund, which encouraged collaboration between its portfolio companies. Greensill acted as a lender that would facilitate growth elsewhere in the SoftBank stable. The loan to Katera was packaged up into notes and sold to investors in a Credit Suisse fund that exclusively bought assets sourced by Greensill. When Katera ran into financial difficulties last year, Greensill forgave the loan. Katera, by the way, is like a weird, um, they say they're like a tech construction company. I have no idea what that fucking means. No Robot one knows. Slaves. The CEO and founder, Michael Marks, um, is the former CEO of Tesla. That's just a dramatic effect pause. But so basically what they were doing, it seems, is that there's a ton of, and, and this is what it seems like is coming out from the reporting, correct me if I'm wrong, that in the Greensill orbit, a ton of companies were basically slushing around a shit ton of money, seeing kind of, again, kind of like a weird hot potato leverage scheme. Yeah, and the thing is that, like, a lot of the money didn't even get to the places it was supposed to go. <laughs> like, I feel like SoftBank gave, didn't SoftBank, like, give Greensill money for another company? Yeah, it didn't end like, up yeah, there. Yeah, and it did not end up there. No, it's uh, like he's probably playing whack-a-mole trying to cover all his bases. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's wild. <sighs> it does have shades of 2008. It really does. Yeah. Like, the weird kind of commercial paper lending... <laughs> The weird kind of freezing up, all these banks, all the sheer amount of leverage that's in the market. Weird times, weird, weird times yeah. happening. Lots of weird types of guys, too. 
Yeah, a lot of <laughs> the personalities. Of yeah. <laughs> the founder of Archegos is like one of those uh, oh, yeah. evangelists like market people like Kathy Wood. It's yeah, very uh, strange. Yeah, he's 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 sort of a similar kind of Christian to Kathy Wood, although a little more um circumspect, I think, in his public life it looks like. But a lot is made of how he drives a Hyundai. Hyundai? I don't know. <laughs> I take the bus. Interesting. Yeah. So maybe he's like an ascetic. It's it's yeah, funny, think- like one of the things that really sticks out to me is how much this is hap- like these two things happening while the market is at all time highs is very unique. Yeah. And yeah, it hasn't really seemed to freak anybody out, which is weird. Which, like, I mean, so the thing that weirds me out about that is that like maybe Greensville had some tricks, right? Mm. Like maybe because the thing is the banks have been doing this kind of funny because like supply chain finance sounds mm-hmm. so like you know exotic and new but it's like technically like what banking was invented for yeah. you're like oh yeah, you credit. got some stuff you got to go to a place okay we're gonna like pay you ahead of time so you can actually afford to get to the place like very basic um finance and like you know green soul just made it really complicated and i think made a, a decent amount of money at least for a while and so like I don't know. I, I just wonder, like, how much of that is going to be mimicked by the banking system? Because, mm. like, at the same time, there are some big companies in the U.S. who have figured out, like, oh, well, if I get loans against my, like, receivables that, you know, that that's, like, very normal. Mm. But say it's money you're expected to receive in, like, nine months to a year. That's mm. kind of a lot of risk. Yeah. And you're basically, like borrowing but you don't have to report it as borrowing Mm. you can just say like oh well i've got this cash flow from operations what could go wrong though i know right (laughs) uh and actually there have been like studies and stuff that have shown that like over the past 15 years or so the time periods of these like receivables financing arrangements have gotten longer oh interesting yeah so like longer is riskier. Um, I think some regulators are looking at it. They might like make companies start saying like, okay, this is actually receivables finance. It's not like just cash that we got from somebody buying a thing and handing us cash. Yeah, yeah. Um, so like that would probably be good. But the thing is that like then maybe that just gets outsourced to the banks and securitized because I, I heard that some of the banks were thinking about doing securitizations of that kind of stuff too. Interesting. So. Well, it's probably only a matter of time before the hedge funds get their hands in there, too. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and we've got a whole new shadow, uh, you know, shadow business financing system. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds fun. <laughs> what could go wrong? If there's one thing I know about recent history is that Bill Huang is going to be doing some serious time. This green sill <laughs> guy, he's probably going to get executed. <laughs> Oh, yeah. And all these morons (laughs) at these big banks are going to get in a lot of trouble. And we're going to be right there with the handcuffs. Mm -hmm. Uh, To bail out Bill Huang, because Bill, if you are listening to this, you know how some people think Martin Shkreli is cool? I think you're cool, brother. Please hit my line. I will put my phone number in the show notes. (laughs) Alex, thanks so much for coming on. It's always a pleasure. We probably are going to have to check in about Green Soap because I feel like we, this is going to be a 
slow drip of a story. We're going to probably be hearing about this for a couple months as people uncover more and more of these losses. It should be a fun one, and thanks for having me. Money, 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 ain't it funny in a rich man's world? No? No, I'd prefer if the song was about spirituality, actually. <laughs> How would that go? Um, spirituality, spirituality, <laughs> uh, mindfulness, a little bit for you and a little bit for me. We're sitting together in the vinyasa pose. Vinyasa tree. Mm-hmm. And, That's uh, nice. Yeah, you like that fucking one? I there was. I had a long discursive about how ABBA was a Nazi, um, genetically created to be Nazis. Mm. Which, and then Young Chomsky informed me that was Ace of Base, and mm. so now I'm, um, I'm at a it's loss funny. here. Yeah, it's I, funny because we cut life. that part, and now you've just repeated it. I know, so. but I, 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 I need to repeat it because <laughs> I, I'm think I've got a long time with thinking that was ABBA. And now I kind of have to re-examine a lot of my priors. I feel like Ace of, I mean, Ace of Base is just updated ABBA. No? Eh, kind of. I mean, Something there's... else strikes me. What? Do you think anyone's ever met their, like, think anyone's ever gotten laid off a clubhouse? The app? Yeah. Like, you're in the clubhouse room and you're talking about, like, rationalism and you're like, damn. You're like, I mean, look, I'll say this. Uh-huh. Clubhouse people, horniest social media site. Hor- horrible people. I mean, just they these people, sex freaks. Really? Oh, if I know anything about rationalism, and I know, let me be clear, I know nothing about rationalism. Mm-hmm. It's that they are crazed sex maniacs. What the only thing I know about rationalism is that uh, my friend's boss was one of like, I'll be as vague as possible here. <laughs> I know someone who was fired from stealing for, from a rationalist. <laughs> Mm, but it's ridiculous because it's rational to steal from someone who's got a lot of money. Mm. I don't really understand it. But yeah. I, all those people seem, yeah, I don't know. I mean, maybe I'm typecasting a little bit, but mm. I did, I mean, you know, we're both from San Francisco. So mm-hmm. I feel like I know a little bit more than, you know, the average Joe. The deal with Clubhouse is, so it's like a phone conversation, but... With, like, investors of things? Here's the thing I don't understand. Are you, people just screaming at you? Why do you I want would, to hear that? Because I would just scream at someone. But I don't want to talk. I don't. I want to read. I like reading text or I, seeing images, but I don't want to hear voices. It seems ridiculous to me. It's who's like going to just sit and listen to someone screaming? Because the thing is, there's nobody who's on Clubhouse whose job isn't just them on Zoom all day. Who's just listening to people talk? Yep, 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 yep. Who's wasting Liz, their time with Liz, that? Liz, do not go d- further down this line of inquiry please do not go further to, i'm warning you dark things lay at the end of this okay we're gonna be i want to announce that true on joining clubhouse mm-hmm. no we are live streaming on the 25th oh we are but yeah. not on clubhouse not on clubhouse that's uh, on Bezo, our buddy bezos's website little mm-hmm. startup called 100 percent of the profits will go to jeff bezos which <laughs> but actually, a... you know what's funny is he doesn't take them. We just like to write him a check. Uh, oh yeah, I just send it to him. Mm-hmm. Big fan. Big Let fan. me get in there. <laughs> the G of the U.S. Um, goodbye, everyone. My name's Liz. 
I'm not saying goodbye. I'm saying until next time. I know. I'm not saying goodbye. No, I'm saying hello. Liz said goodbye. <laughs> you say goodbye and I say hello. Until next time, though, this is Brace. Oh, my God. Did you even say your name? I guess I know it's I, I did, but you talked over me. You always talk over me when I say I my did, name. Did you even say your name? This is Liz. This is Liz. This is Liz. I'm Brace. Uh-huh. We, we are joined by producer Young Chomsky. And we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.